This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Happy New Year! Welcome to a new year of Rico Bronia. Hoffman and I said we need to give you content every three days, no matter what. So we thought to ourselves, what's the best way to ring in 2023? And the answer is to not be negative. Because a lot of times on the Rico, rightfully so, there's a lot of negativity. Whether it's things we didn't like from the offseason, whether it's a brutal Met loss, whether it's the season ending in shame after winning 101 games, there is a lot of negativity. Today, we are going to give you all positive, I promise. I mean, there may be a negative slipped in, but all positive year in review from 2022 because it was a year where the Mets did win 101 games. So we will go through the entire season and kind of relive all the really good moments and completely ignore the negative. That's what we're doing to open the year because there'll be plenty of negative as the year rolls on. And as we were doing and going through this project and thinking back to the games and moments of the 2022 season, it did remind me, in case you forgot, that this was an incredibly fun season because we came up with 12 games, moments from those games, but really 12 games that were freaking awesome, that featured incredible moments, that featured raw, animalistic excitement. And honestly, most seasons don't feature that many. You know, there's a handful, even in a bad season. But normally, you don't get as many as we got in 2022. So that doesn't make up for the fact that it ended in shame. (laughs) That doesn't delete the fact that we got freaking swept by the Atlanta Braves and lost in three to the Padres. But there were a lot of positive moments. So let's go back to, in my opinion, the first one. And look, there are going to be moments we miss. Opening day, the Mets beat the Diamondbacks. They unveiled the Tom Seaver statue. Trust me, that was great. That was fantastic. But we didn't want to be here for five hours, all right? So we really had to narrow it down to the 12 great ones. The first game-slash-moment that really jumped out at me, that made me think, wow, maybe this team is special, was that game in St. Louis back in late April. They opened up a three-game series against the Cardinals. The Mets were off to a good start. We were 12-5 and at the time. We were four games up, first place National League East, so everything was fantastic. But we were playing a game against the Cardinals that was so freaking frustrating. Max Scherzer is pitching for the Mets. He's only making his fourth start of the year. He's 3-0 and to begin his Met career, and he's brilliant. He is fantastic. In fact, he pitches seven scoreless innings. He only throws 101 pitches, but God forbid he goes more than that. He comes out of the game. The problem is the Met offense did absolutely nothing. They had a handful of opportunities against Miles Michaelis, could not break through, and it was a 0-0 game into the eighth inning, and that's when Trevor May crapped the bet, as you may recall. He gave up a two-run single to Tyler O'Neill, and it looked like we were destined for a very typical Met loss. We can't hit. We can't score. The starting pitching is great. Our bullpen comes in and just blows what was a close game. And now we're about to lose 2-0. We're about to get mowed down in the ninth inning by Hoff's guy, Giovanni Gallegos. Wasn't he on your fantasy team during this game? Of course. Is that, is that, what is it? If, if they're on our fantasy team, they're automatically our guy, right? <laughs> so Hoff was very mixed as this was happening because Gallegos is about to get him a save. Okay, I'll take that at least. And then something crazy happened. Mark Canna came up with a runner on second and two out down, two nothing. We're down to our final strike and just kept battling and battling and battling. And then finally comes up with like a cheap, lucky infield hit. But in the process, Nolan Arenado, the most brilliant defensive third baseman of our time, not only can't make the play, which led to the infield hit, 
but he makes a wild throw, which allows the first run to score, and it allows, if I'm not mistaken, Mar- well, Marquette actually stayed on first base, but it allowed the first run to score. Two to one, two outs, okay, we're not dead yet. Jeff McNeil, first pitch, rips a double. Here we go. We're in it. We're in it. And then Dom Smith, of all people, comes through with this two-run infield hit single. Brandon Nimmo hits a home run, and we explode all over St. Louis, and we beat them by a final score of 5-2. to two. It was magical. Now, Hoff has pulled a clip from every single game that I think is going to best represent that victory. But I didn't want to hear any of them. Now, so it's all a surprise. So if you love the clip that Pete played, you say, Hoff, what a great job. Or you could just say that was obvious, Pete. You really didn't do anything special. If the call doesn't represent what we wanted, then we just make fun of Pete. It's very simple. So, Mets win 5-2. to two. Let's call it magic in St. Louis. And Dom pulls one over the bag. Goldschmidt with a sprawling stop. The race to the back. Nah, you nailed that one, Pete. <laughs> that was tremendous. The one and only highlight for Dom Smith all season long. I know. That was so awesome because it was an infield hit. They're second and third. We're down by a run. So, obviously, once Smith beats it, we all know at home, okay, tie game. But we don't know at the time is that Jeff McNeil's running his ass off around third base, and he scores the lead run. Brandon Nemo next pitch, two-run home run to break the game open. That was a tremendous victory for so many reasons. A, Nolan Arenado makes a rare error. B, I thought maybe Dom was going to wake up because he was off to a slow start. But it was just, it was clutch. Because even after the Arenado error, the Mets still needed back-to-back hits to even tie the game. So uh, this game, especially against the Cardinals, a team we all can't stand, that right from late April led me to think, huh, this team's got balls, man. That was a great victory right out of the gate. No question, dude. And again, that set up for a lot of uh, good comp. Listen, the, the the series against the Cardinals all season long were were always intense. Like the the split double header and stuff like that. There was a lot going on, and it just this kind of started off. It really did. A couple days later, it was a Friday night. The Mets were playing the Philadelphia Phillies. I was not going to that game that night. I had kind of pre-planned it, and I was very very tired. I'm not really sure the reason. It was probably one of my sons keeping me up all night. So I did something I really don't do often. You know, I'll DVR a game, but then I'll eventually catch up because I get home from work. I get home after the game starts. I really don't have an option. I don't like to miss pitches. I score every game. Most people know how insane I am. So I'll start a game 45 minutes late, and then either I'll catch up at some point, or if I start it really late, maybe I'll finish the game 20, 30 minutes late. Nothing crazy. On this Friday night, April 29th, I was exhausted. It was it was just, I could not keep my eyes open. I remember telling my wife, I'm going to bed. Like, I, I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night because I can't sleep a full night without knowing how my team did, whether it's the Nets, whether it's the Mets. This would never be the case with the Jets because it's football. Um, so I went to bed, not thinking anything of it. You know, okay, it's Aaron Nola versus Tyler McGill. It's a Friday night. It's Mets Phillies. It is what it is. I wake up at about, I'd say midnight. And I got energy. I feel good. I'm, I'm excited. You know, Mets are 14 and 6. We're three games up in first place. I'm excited. Mets just had an off day. Let's go watch Mets baseball. And I'm watching this game and I'm scoring it. And things are going, you know, okay. It's a 0 0 game. Bottom of the fifth inning. They finally break through. Jeff McNeil, who is clutch all year, gets a two run single. Uh, Pete Alonso hits a home run in the sixth inning. And it hit me really as McGill got through the fifth because he put a couple of guys on base. Uh, It was a tricky spot in that fifth inning because at the time it was a 0-0 game. He struck out that pain in the ass, Odubel Herrera. And as he finished the inning, I'm looking down at my scorebook and I said, oh, crap, he hasn't allowed a hit. Now, there was no drama of McGill remaining in the game much longer. He did come out in the sixth inning for Drew Smith. And again, it was another one of those innings where, you know, Phillies had a base runner. Phillies put a guy on base. Same thing in the seventh inning when Joely Rodriguez eventually came in the game. There's a guy on base. But as the seventh inning is going on, and it was, I think it was, it was Joely himself who got the double play on Alec Bohm to end the inning. I'm wondering, oh, crap. 
Except I didn't say crap. I said, oh, shit. I was like, oh, shit. Are we going to pitch a no-hitter? Because it's 2 o'clock in the morning. So whatever happened, happened. And now I've got this very mixed feeling. Because in the past, I never wanted to not be there for a Mets no-hitter. I was lucky enough to be there when Johan threw it. So that eased my tension a little bit. This is a combined no-hitter, so it's a little bit different. But I'm mixed. My stomach is kind of aching a little bit. Like, oh, crap. I, do I want the no-hitter? Mets are winning this game 3 nothing. I feel okay. Eighth inning comes around. Joely Rodriguez puts a guy on base. He goes to Seth Lugo. It's the top of the order. And when he fell behind Segura and then Hoskins, I thought, oh, there's no doubt Lugo's giving up a hit. Like, there's just no doubt. When Lugo got through the eighth, and he got Hoskins to pop it up, and the crowd is electric, and Gary Cohen is, you know, all excited. Now I'm scared. <laughs> now I'm, I'm, I'm staring down at my phone thinking, the answer's right here. All I've got to do is go to my text messages, and I know the outcome of this. Bottom of the eighth inning takes forever. Mets threaten. They don't score a run. And I knew from the get-go, when Edwin Diaz came in, And this is still early in the season, so we're not convinced yet that Edwin Diaz has really figured it out to the level that he did in 2022. But when he struck out Bryce Harper to start the ninth inning, I knew it. I knew what was about to happen. And he left, no doubt. He strikes out Castellanos. He strikes out Rio Muto. And even though it had occurred five hours earlier, my jaw's on the ground. Because for the second time in history, the Mets had a no-hitter. He struck him out. Five Met pitchers combined for the second no-hitter in New York Mets history. Edwin Diaz puts on the finishing touches, striking out the side of the ninth inning. And the Mets celebrate their second ever no-hitter, started by Tyler McGill, finished by Edwin Diaz, as the Mets no-hit the Phillies. Mets no-hit the Phillies. I I was stunned sitting there. Then I checked my phone. I see all the messages. I'm texting my dad, and I'm like, damn, this is is crazy. So it was very surreal. I'll never forget that night of actually starting the game as late as I did, which was very unorthodox. And now all these months later, no regrets. Like, it it happens. I don't go to every single game anymore. I go to – I still go to a lot, especially having two kids, maybe half the games. And there's always that risk. And I do have to admit, the combined no-hitter, still an accomplishment, still cool, still a a really cool night, but not the same as the singular no-hitter. And I think as time goes by, with less guys pitching nine innings, I think that's going to make the singular no-hitter even bigger than it used to be. Because we're going to see combined no-hitters. I mean, we saw it in the World Series. Think about that. Like, that's crazy. After the legend of Don Larson and even Roy Halladay joining him a you know, decades and decades later doing it in the divisional series. There is something kind of missing about the combined no-hitter. But nevertheless, Hoff, it was a cool night, that's for sure. Yeah, and I don't even remember where I picked it up, too, because I think it was, like, casually watching that game. So I definitely didn't see Mc- – I picked it up as McGill was taken out already. But I didn't get any text messages, and I think that you're talking about that the same lore of, like, the fact that it wasn't a single pitcher going the whole way. I would have got buzzed sooner. You know what I mean? Yes, and, and it was it was also easy not to realize it because the Phillies had guys on base. So other than seeing the zero when SNY would go to commercial break, you watch that game, it's easy to just forget it was a no-hitter because the Phillies had plenty of guys on base. And, and the other thing about after the game was over, if I'm correct, the quote from Edwin Diaz was he didn't even know there was a, a no-hitter going on. That's it, crazy. And, and to me... That just shows how locked in he was that we didn't even realize how how amazing of a season he was going to have because they were he was just locked in to every single outing. It, it was a very good sign early that Diaz was so dominant, heart of the order, no hitter. Whether he knew it or not, which I'm not, I'm kind of skeptical of that. The crowd was rocking in a playoff like atmosphere. I thought that was a oddly enough like an early preview of the big moments he would face so I thought it was a positive sign that Diaz answered the call as brilliantly as he did Uh, another game and this may be the topper occurred about a week later on May 5th the Mets were in Philadelphia playing the Philadelphia Phillies and they're getting their ass kicked Um, Taiwan Walker started the game and right at a jump really struggled he gave up four runs early 
The Mets had a big error early in this game by Francisco Lindor. They were down 4 nothing right out of the gate. They're down 5 nothing. They're actually down 7 nothing after only three innings. And Taiwan Walker came out after four. He gave up back-to-back home runs to Bryce Harper and Nick Castellanos in the fourth inning. It was just one of those days. And it happens. Aaron Nola's pitching well. The Mets are getting their ass kicked. Starling Marte had a home run in the sixth inning. Big deal, 7-1. And even in the ninth inning, Francisco Lindor, who at the time was slumping, and like I mentioned, made a big error earlier in the game, hits a two-run home run in the seventh inning that made it 7-3. And I admit, I said to the TV, great. You do it in the biggest moment, Francisco. Thanks for nothing. Little did I know (laughs) that it was the impetus for a rally that came out of nowhere. Double by Pete Alonso. Line out by Escobar. Then back-to-back hits that made it 7-3. Then Dom Smith strikes out. Dom was really, really struggling despite that big moment he had against St. Louis. And here they are, trailing in this baseball game, 7-4, The tying run, I think at this point, is at the plate. And the batter was J.D. Davis. And he rips an RBI double. And once he got the double, that all of a sudden made this, I think, a 7-5 game, if I'm doing my math correctly. I loved it because I trusted Nimmo. Brandon Nimmo came up with a chance to, to, I guess it was tied. Yeah, it was to tie the game at that point. It was 7-5. And there were uh, runners on second and third. See, he came up with a chance to tie the baseball game. And that's when I started to believe for the first time during that ninth inning rally, they may come back. Because despite Nimmo having a quiet night, I just trusted him. And he came through with a two-run single. And then even after they tied the game, great. They they, got to go take the lead. And Starling Marte on the first pitch smoked one off the fence in center. The Mets had completed an insane rally to take an 8-7 to seven a lead. But you have to pause for a second. Because even though they complete this incredible ninth inning rally to go ahead 8-7, to seven, Edwin Diaz still has to save the game. And like I mentioned earlier, we're still not fully convinced about Edwin Diaz. He was off to a very good start through April. Don't get me wrong. Not ripping the guy. But... I don't know. We still have the old Edwin Diaz taste in our mouth. And to his credit, one, two, three. And the New York Mets pulled off their largest ninth inning rally in 25 years. Another game I remember vividly, it was a rally against the Expos where they were trailing six to nothing in the ninth inning and they tied the game on a Carl Everett grand slam and then won it on a Bernard Gilkey home run. Uh, I think in the 10th, 11th, 12th inning, something like that. So, an incredible, incredible comeback. Well, here is Marte now. Nimmo, good lead at first. The pitch, swinging a high fly ball. Left center field, pretty deep. It's got some legs back near the wall. It's in for a hit. Mets are going to take the lead. Nimmo around third, coming home. He scores standing. Double for Marte. Eight to seven, New York. That fans have made the trip. Didn't have much to cheer about the first half of this game, but oh, has that changed? The 0-2. See, he struck him out, and the ball game is over. Yeah. Edwin Diaz with a 1-2-3 ninth, and the Mets with a phenomenal victory. Phenomenal victory. Phen- I think for a lot of people listening, that may be number one on your list because 7-1 in the ninth inning? To score eight runs against the hated Philadelphia Phillies? That's, oh, kind, of, that's kind of a low-key call right there by Garrett. Not for nothing. Phenomenal? Like, like that should have been extraordinary. That, that, I should He should have been, like, out of his seat, eyes popping out of his head. Like, what the hell did we just witness? You know why I think he, he was a little low-key for it? Because at that point, Edwin Diaz is just mowing people down after 20 minutes earlier the Mets had come back. So I wonder if at that point, they just in his voice, there was no drama. <laughs> you know, it was just <laughs> over. The game is over. I don't know. I don't know. A few weeks later, and I think this is an underrated one, it was a Thursday afternoon game, May 19th, and I was very lucky because the Yankees also played a day game that day. So Craig and I were at the office watching the Yankees and the Mets simultaneously. The Mets were at City Field. They were closing out a series against the Cardinals, a four-game series against the St. Louis Cardinals. The Mets at the time were 25-14. and 14. They had won the night before, but uh, no, Scherzer didn't get hurt that day. Did he? I don't think he did. I think he was still healthy. I'm trying to remember. Maybe he did get hurt that day. 
I'm trying to remember if that. Yeah, I think it was. So Max Scherzer pitches, the Mets win, and he gets hurt. I'm trying to remember because I knew going into that last game, there was a lot of pressure. Um, the Mets had played the St. Louis Cardinals a doubleheader previously, like you mentioned. And Scherzer gets hurt, but the Mets win. And so they're wrapping up this four-game series against St. Louis. And we now know there's no Max Scherzer for probably two months. We didn't know the exact amount of time at that point. And there's no Jacob DeGrom. So despite being 25 and 14, there was some anxiousness amongst us as Met fans. That was the reason why this game meant a lot to me. And it was this weird back-and-forth game. Mets had a 2-0 lead. Cardinals came back, took a 3-2 lead. Mets regained the lead in the fifth inning. So they had themselves a 5-3 lead. Cardinals got a run to make it 5-4. And then in the ninth inning of this game, while Craig and I were getting ready to go on the air, or maybe we had gone on the air at this point. I don't even remember. It appeared like Edwin Diaz was going to end the baseball game. There were guys on base, and Paul Goldschmidt hit a ground ball to third. And Eduardo Escobar flat out booted it. Just flat out booted it. It was a play he needed to make. He didn't make it. It allowed the tying run to score. And to Diaz's credit, he actually got out of the inning because the bases would be then loaded uh, a few batters later for Juan Yepes, and he struck him out, and he got through it. So what could have been a bigger disaster was averted because Edwin Diaz, to his credit, battled through even after Eduardo Escobar had essentially blown the game. Mets do nothing in the ninth inning. Uh, Colin Holderman does a great job getting through the 10th inning, got Albert Pujols to ground into a big double play. And then in the bottom of the 10th inning, as the Mets are about to embark on a road trip and Max Scherzer is headed towards the injured list, I wanted this freaking game badly, especially because they were a strike away from winning it two innings earlier. And Pete Alonzo, my effing guy. Well, we have another highlight first before that. Here's oh, the really? Goldschmidt swinging a roller to the left side. Oh, Escobar bobbles the ball, trying to cut it off. The tying run scores, digging for third. Donovan, no throw from Escobar. On it first is Goldschmidt. We'll see how they score it. It was going to be a tough play, but either way, the Cardinals have tied the game against Edwin Diaz. Alonzo cracks oh. one of the Mets oh. win the ball game. Out of sight, a two-run bomb into the second deck for Pete Alonzo. Six win. Oh, wow. I like that you did that, Pete. You surprised me on that one. I like that. See what, you throw, see what I did there? See what I yeah, did there? You, you throw in the negative, the kick in the balls, which is Escobar not being able to make a play, and then you give us the, the – and that was a great call, especially because Darling and Keith jumped all over Gary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, were, they were very excited. I think that – because I remember at the time Craig was saying, why, you know, why is that such a big deal, Ev? They won the game, but why is that such a big win? And I was emphasizing that's a huge win. And I think the Scherzer injury played a big role. Plus, the Mets were about to go on a really difficult road trip. They were about to go out west. And you just wanted that victory, especially when you had one in the palm of your hands. And it's crazy to think, until the Atlanta series, until blowing in the playoffs, the Mets didn't have bad losses. Throughout this season, they had amazing wins, but they didn't have those epically bad losses. I remember 2019 was filled with them. It was just loaded with, remember this game, game against St. Louis. Remember the Dodger game. Remember Dom Smith dropping a fly ball in San Francisco. Like it was just loaded and loaded with bad losses. This team didn't have any. And this game had a chance to be one. So uh, it was an incredible win and a great job by Pete Alonso. I'm about to bring up a game, and this is the only one on this list, but I'll explain why. I'm about to bring up a game they lost. And the reason I'm going to bring it up is even though it didn't end till 1.35 in the morning, and in the moment I was mad, and in the moment I was pissed off, I thought this game showed the brilliance, the fortitude, and the balls of the 2022 New York Mets. Because not too much earlier than this, because this is now... May 24th, this is how many days? 19 days after the Mets made the comeback against the Phillies. We're only talking two and a half weeks. And they're playing the San Francisco Giants, and they are losing 8-2 to two in the seventh inning. Now, most of this audience, I don't care how, high, how diehard you are, there's about a 55% chance you shut this game off. And who could blame you? 
They're losing eight to two. The game didn't start till a quarter of 10. It's late at night. It's a loss. It is what it is. The Mets had won the opener of this series. Okay, not the end of the world. Not a big deal. Chris Bassett got his ass handed to him. Uh, Drew Smith blew it up later. So it was just one of those games where you're like, all right, it's just not our night. And the New York Mets somehow, some way, did it again. It started with a Francisco Lindor two-run home run. <laughs> just like the Philly game. It always starts with a Francisco Lindor two-run home run. That made the game 8-4. to four. And then in the eighth inning, single, 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 fielder's choice, single, single, and then the big knock of Francisco Lindor three-run triple that somehow gave the Mets the lead. They went up 11-8. to eight, And then they proceeded to blow it. <laughs> now, that's the only problem. Drew Smith came in. Jock Peterson hit his third home run of the game, a three-run shot. Then the Mets took the lead again in the ninth inning on a sacrifice fly by Brandon Nimmo. And Edwin Diaz failed for the final time this season, in essence. And I'll never forget what he said. He gave up a leadoff hit in the ninth trying to protect a one-run lead and then got a double play. So the Mets are about to win. The Mets are about to pull this miracle off. Amazing comeback, blow the lead, retake the lead. But then Edwin Diaz issued a walk, a hit. Jock Peterson tied the game with an RBI single, and Brandon Crawford walked it off. And Diaz admitted after the game, I lost my concentration. And when I heard that, I was, what? what you lost your concentration? What are you talking about? Game's not over. But the reason I think back to this game fondly, despite how bad it felt at the time, was A, it showed the Mets balls like I mentioned, and B, Edwin Diaz would not blow another save. This would be the game you could look back on and say he figured it out. Whatever mental block he may have had in certain moments, it all went away. So Pete, give us a clip from this incredible Met loss but moral victory. Pitch. Swing and a drive. Right field. Way back. Long gone. Jock Peterson hits it into McCovey Cove. And this game is tied 11-11. to In the bottom of the eighth, Peterson with his third home run tonight. He's driven in seven. All three Giants runs here in the eighth inning with two outs. But wait, Evan, there's more. 1-1. Ground ball, left side, base hit, around third rough. Canna's got it. Throw home to try to get rough. Not in time. Rough scores, and the San Francisco Giants win an extraordinary ball game here at Oracle Park. Yeah, I didn't like that. Well, you got to play the negative. Uh, Well, there was no positive. And I I, listen, the Jock Peterson was bad enough because he really single-handedly took that game upon himself to come back with. But then the final call to hear freaking Darren Ruff. If we're going to go down in a flame, we might as well have Ruff on the call. I mean, come on. This shows the difference between you and I. I looked at this game now months later and said it was a positive. And all you did was go to the negative. The Peterson home run, rough scoring the winning run. Yeah, I get it. They lost. But looking back on this game, wasn't it amazing? Wasn't it? Didn't it show the fight of the team? And didn't it show you that Edwin Diaz would never let this happen again? On, on, listen, at this point in time, we now have had like five or six games where I'm like, this is still May and we've come back and have won games. Like, I honestly thought we were winning that game. There was no oh, doubt yeah. in my mind. I'm like, oh, my God, this is, this is incredible. Let's go. We're going to win the World Series tonight. Like, that's how I felt after that game, after, during that game. And then Peterson just wouldn't stop that mf yeah. You know, yeah. it's really his fault. Let's put it well, on Peterson. <laughs> yeah, it really was. It, was. it was an all-time great game by him. Three home runs, the game-tying hit. I, I know the Mets lost the division by a game, so you could go back and actually yell at me right now saying, come on, this could have been the difference. I don't know. I think the fact it was Diaz's last blown save, and I remember staying up all night. Like, And when it was over, I was depressed, I was sad, but it really was one of the most remarkable baseball games I had ever seen. Uh, but okay, it is what it is. That's the only loss, I promise. Uh, a few days later, the Mets went to L.A., played four games in L.A. They lost the first two games in Los Angeles. They won game three of the series. 
um, on a Saturday late night. Pete Alonzo with a couple of home runs, drove in five. And that brought us to Sunday afternoon. And what turned out to be the greatest split in the history of the New York Mets, at least that's what we were saying afterwards. Because right out of the gate, Trevor Williams is starting against Julio Urias. It just feels like a mismatch. Knowing who Julio Urias is, and certainly Trevor Williams, though he pitched well this past season, is a spot starter. He's filling in for Max Scherzer. And right out of the gate, he gave up a home run to Trey Turner. We'll be seeing a lot more of him now as Trey Turner obviously has now entered the National League East. So we're down 2 nothing in this game. To Trevor Williams' credit, he settles down. Starling Marte hits a home run. We're down 2-1, to one, and the game slowly marches on where we just cannot hit. We cannot hit. And then finally, in the eighth inning, we rally. Lindor double. Alonzo RBI double. An incredible Eduardo Escobar at bat. That leads to a sacrifice fly. An RBI single by Tomas Nito. And we are now six outs away from defeating the Dodgers and getting a split. And that's when Buck Showalter did something that you know I love. But he did it for the first time. He went to Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning because the Dodgers were sending up the top of the order. He did brilliant work. He got Mookie Betts out. He got Freddie Freeman out. He got Trey Turner out. But that meant Seth Lugo was going to have to come in and get the final three outs with a two-run lead. He gives up immediately a home run to Will Smith, gets the next two outs. So Lugo is an out away. Gives up a double to Chris Taylor. Okay, deep breath. He's still an out away. And then he gives up an RBI single to the figure skater or the speed skater, Eddie Alvarez. Whatever he did. Wasn't he an Olympian? Isn't that the whole story about that guy? Either way, it sucked. Seth Lugo blew the lead. It's now 2-2 or 4-4. And this has a chance to go from an incredible win that earned us a split to a really damaging loss. Luckily, Top of the 10th inning, right out of the gate. J.D. Davis, we forget he was a Met, comes through with an RBI double, but the Mets hit into some bad luck. Eduardo Escobar lines into a double play. So we have a one-run lead. It's the bottom of the 10th inning, but unfortunately, the Mets have to go to Adonis Medina. Adonis Medina to get three outs with a runner on second, obviously, because of that stupid rule, and he's got to get the big guys out. He battles Mookie Betts, nine pitch at back, gets him to fly out. Gets Met killer Freddie Freeman to ground out. But then there's a catching interference call that puts Trey Turner on base. He promptly steals second. And now all of a sudden the Dodgers are a single away from walking us off. I was in the car listening to this moment. Uh, Me and my family had visited my parents and my wife was giving me the look. It's getting late. All right. We're heading home. So I said, okay, fair enough. Let me close my scorebook. We will listen to the final inning in the car, and I'll fill in the scorecard later. So I'm sitting there listening, bated breath, and Adonis Medina struck out Will Smith, and the New York Mets had pulled it off. The greatest split in the history of the franchise. The one-two pitch. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Adonis Medina and the Mets survive. And they split the series with the Dodgers. They win this afternoon 5-4 to four in 10 innings. That was great. That was a great win. And, you know, even sitting here all these months later, it was the greatest split in the history of the Mets. Because I think off walking out of that series, we felt like, hey, we could play with anybody. We just got to split against the Dodgers, especially with the way the series began by losing the first two games, rallying in the finale, and then having a guy like Adonis Medina get through the heart of the Dodger order to win that game. And if I'm correct, we also, like, that was wrapping up the West Coast trip. Yeah, uh, it was towards the end. I think they had a few more games, but it was towards the end of it. But, yeah. the, but I think we had, like, that was the hardest part of it. So it's like, we just survived that? Yeah. That, this is great. It's fantastic. And on another note, guess what happened that day? What happened that day? It was the debut of Rico Bronia. Is that true? First uh, first full episode <laughs> debut no later idea. on, and we came out with the best split of all time. <laughs> you know, I never knew that. How about that? How about that? I, you would think I would know something like that, but good job by you. He's all over it. That was a tremendous victory. About a month later, uh, Keith Hernandez's number was being retired, 
And I've been criticized. It was a decision I made to not go to that game and instead go to the beaches of Montauk with my family. But we had a great time that day, so no regrets. But me and my family did watch that game. Keith Hernandez having his number retired. Really, really cool moment. And then you had a baseball game. And it was an ugly kind of baseball game. Mets had a one nothing lead. They blew the lead. It was 2-1. to one. They retook the lead. Marlins came back and tied it in the eighth and then took the lead in the 10th inning of this game. Could the Mets possibly lose on Keith Hernandez Day? It started to look that way because Eduardo Escobar struck out, Luis Guillerme struck out, and the Mets were down to their final out with Tomas Nito at the plate. And he hits a ground ball to third, and really the third baseman should have made the play. It went underneath his glove, down the line. It actually tied the game. But then, to really make this feel like 1986, Brandon Nimmo had a tapper back to the mound, and Tanner Scott threw it away. And what I'll never forget about this, and you'll hear, is the eerie similarities between the final call and what was also the final call of Game 6 in 86. Take a listen. And Brandon just went back to the mound. Bobbled for a moment by Scott. Oh, Here comes Dino and the Mets win it! Oh, wow! The Marlins melting down the bottom of the 10th and the Mets rally for two runs with two outs to win it 5-4. to four. And the Mets win it! Very similar to the 86 call. And it was a very lucky win. I mean, I, I think... <laughs> I think we'd all admit that, but it was still cool. You didn't want to lose on Keith Hernandez day and the Mets made sure they didn't. About a month later, Jacob DeGrom finally came back. He made his return in Washington against the Nationals, but I was so excited. And this is probably the most negative part of this podcast because we got to talk about this. Uh, I was excited to see Jake's return and I pulled a clip for this moment and then I decided not to send it to Pete. Because the clip made me very, very sad. And I wanted this podcast to be positive. And the clip I pulled off was of DeGrom warming up to Simple Man and the crowd giving him a standing ovation. And what really, really bothers me as I talk about this right now is as I was at that game with my son, with my wife, the thought in my head was, we can't let this man go. This man cannot pitch for any other team. And so he was brilliant. The Mets won. I know he gave up a late home run as he was basically done, but it does sort of pain me to think back to that memory that I had as he was warming up because the truth is they did let him go. And obviously we've talked that to death, so I don't want to relitigate it, but that was a really special moment from this season that unfortunately you look back at with a little bit of bitterness now because that was the end. And it's it stunk, man. It really did. Uh, he was great. The Mets won. It also completed what we thought was a series win over Atlanta that would kind of put the hammer down on the National League East. Remember, the Mets played a five-game series against the Braves. And after getting blown out early in that series, Taiwan Walker, I think, pitched one inning and gave up a million runs. The Mets responded. They swept the doubleheader on the Saturday. And then they put the exclamation point on it with Jake uh, making his return to City Field and defeating the Atlanta Braves. I think it was Dansby Swanson who hit the home run to spoil it. And good news, we don't have to see him with the Atlanta Braves again. So that's the positive. But no clip from that game because it's going to make me sad. And right now, I don't want to be sad. Right, Hoff? You agree with that, uh, that Yeah, I, I agree. And I think I, I think everyone got emotional. It was the one thing I will say, just to, to hammer back to that moment, SMY did an amazing job this year. You can, you know, first of all, they are – you know, your co-workers with the guys at SNY, you guys do two hours a day with them. But not to kiss their butt, they do a phenomenal job kind of taking in the moment for everybody, whether it's Edwin Diaz, whether it's Brandon Nimmo making a catch. Like, they've done it constantly. Yes. The biggest moment, is, it's like it's like a movie you're watching. And that's what that was. It was one of the best intros of all time for any single starting pitcher. And it was emotional. Yeah. It was. It was. I'm emotional for two reasons. A, he's not coming back. And B, I walked out of City Field that afternoon thinking the division was over. (laughs) Sal finally convinced me. And then, uh, well, we know how things turned out. A few weeks later, the Mets played a Sunday afternoon game 
against the Philadelphia Phillies. They were wrapping up a four-game series. They had played a doubleheader the day before and had split the doubleheader. At this point, the Mets are three games up on the Atlanta Braves, and we're sitting here in late August, and the Mets, unfortunately, were forced to call up a guy by the name of Jose Buto to make the start in the finale of this series against Kyle Gibson. And Jose Buto was as bad as we could have imagined right out of the gate. Three batters in, they're down 3 nothing when Alec Bohm hit a three-run home run. He ended up giving up four runs in the first inning. And then, to the Mets' credit, they rallied. They scored two in the second. They scored a run in the third. They scored a run in the fourth. And we had ourselves a tie game at four, and Buto had actually settled down. Until he gave up another home run, another three-run home run, also to Alec Bohm. And then he was out of the game, and we were down 7-4, to four, and it felt like a loss until Mark Canna in the seventh inning hit a three-run home run to tie the game up at seven. And we're starting to have memories back of that late April win. Problem was, in the bottom of the eighth inning, the Philadelphia Phillies retook the lead when Gene Segura, who is an absolute Met pain in the ass, hit a leadoff home run in the eighth inning against Trevor May, and the Phillies had regained the lead, which means it was all going to come down to the final three outs, down by a run. And then Mark Canna, in his finest moment, after a leadoff double, hit a fly ball to left field, and I'll never forget the bat flip. Him kind of throwing the bat in the air, his hands in the air. He hits a two-run home run. We regain the lead. I didn't realize it at the time, but Brandon Nimmo hit a home run that would turn out to be a very important insurance run because Edwin Diaz did not make this easy for us. (laughs) We had a two-run lead in the ninth inning, and he promptly gives up two hits on two pitches to JT Riamuto and Nicholas Castellanos, and then Bryson Stott barely misses a game-winning three-run home run. And then Nick Maton barely misses a game-winning three-run home run. It turned into a sacrifice fly. He walks Segura and then wins the game when he struck out the pinch hitter, Derek Hall, with two on, two out, the winning run on base, and it was yet another awesome victory in Philadelphia. Swing and a drive, well hit to left. Back goes Maton. She is gone! Do you believe this? The Mets have done it again. They take the lead. Yes, they did. Oh, that was tremendous. Great victory. We had to have some kind of excitement to close it out, but an awesome victory to ensure a victory and a series win over the Philadelphia Phillies. About a week and a half later, we're playing the Dodgers again, and I give my son credit, Jet, who's actually here while we record this podcast. Jet went to all three of these Met Dodger games, all of them. The opener in which uh, it was raining and we lost. Remember what happened at that game, Jet? You do? Okay, he knows. He got very upset because he said something inappropriate about the L.A. Dodgers. And as he said that, Daniel Vogelbach rounded into a double play. And he caught himself saying something inappropriate, so began crying. Which was very, it was a very good moment. He, he knew he shouldn't have said it, so he started crying. But everybody around us thought he was crying because Vogelbach grounded into the double play. But that's not the truth. Mets ended up losing that game. And in the second game of this series, we were given the treat of another incredible moment. The Mets take a 2-0 lead on a Starling Marte two-run home run, and we're watching this awesome pitcher's duel between Jacob DeGrom and Tyler Anderson. It is back and forth, but DeGrom starts to look human in the sixth inning of this game. He gives up a home run to Mookie Betts and got very lucky that Will Smith did in a two-run home run a few batters later. So here's DeGrom, not a high pitch count, but you could tell Dodgers are getting better swings on him. With one out and nobody on, up 2-1, to one, and I know this is the moment, so I'm going to throw to it. The best play of the season occurred as Justin Turner strode to the plate. That's lifted in the air, deep to center, backboard Nemo, still going toward the warning track, leaping up at the wall, Nemo made the catch! Oh my goodness, what a catch! Brandon Nemo up near the wall in right center may have taken a home run away from Justin Turner. Oh, 
What a catch. And Nimmo's emotion, the Grom with the arm in the air. To Jake's credit, he strikes out Gavin Lux, finishes his night, seven innings, one run, and the Met bullpen did a spectacular job. Adam Adovino got three outs. Edwin Diaz got the Dodgers hard of the order, one, two, three, and the Mets had evened up the series and won the game two to one. Best remembered for not just the Grom giving you seven good innings, but the catch of the year from Brandon Nimmo. And then the following day, I give my other son a lot of credit, Spence. It was his first complete game. It was a 4 o'clock game Thursday afternoon. I was off. Whole family went. So Jet completed the three-game series. Good job by him. And my youngest son, Spence, sat through the entire three-hour game. And that was another good game. That was another very good game. That's one five to 5-3. Uh, uh, Edwin Diaz again did the eighth-inning thing. And then Adam Adovino came in and got the job done in the ninth inning. It was a... Uh, an excellent victory. It was a series win against the L.A. Dodgers. And even though it didn't mean anything because we never got to play him again, it was the series, the season series victory over the L.A. Dodgers. A few weeks later, as the Mets are engaged in this tooth and nail pennant race in the National League East, the Mets go to Milwaukee to take on the Brewers with Max Scherzer returning from the injured list. And the Mets needing wins. Now, by the way, they had a chance to clinch a playoff spot, but at the time, none of us really thought about that. It was more, we're only a game up on Atlanta. And Max Scherzer delivered, uh, I mean, as brilliant as you could say. He was unbelievable. He pitched six perfect innings. (laughs) He doesn't get much better than that. And he only threw 68 pitches, but Buck Showalter made the decision that he had to make. He took him out of the game. And he took him out of the game because, listen, Mets had a 5-0 lead. It was his first start back. They had to be smart about it. He was never going to be able to pitch nine innings anyway. So Max Scherzer was brilliant. Pete Alonzo with a three-run home run. And it did get a little exciting because Tyler McGill gave up a two-run home run. And Adam Adovino put some guys on base in the ninth inning. But the Mets were able to close it out. They beat the Milwaukee Brewers by a final score of 7-2. to And they clinched a playoff spot. So Scherzer six perfect. The Mets clinch a playoff spot. I didn't think about it in the moment. But clinching a playoff spot is a big deal for this franchise. 2-2. He struck him out, and the ball game is over. For the first time since 2016, the 2022 New York Mets will be going to the postseason. The 10th postseason berth in franchise history. And along the way, Max Scherzer picks up his 200th victory with six perfect innings as the Mets win their 94th game in 2022, and they have clinched at least a wild card, 13 games to go, a one-game lead in the National League East, and reason for at least a muted celebration tonight as the Mets have made their way into postseason play. Making the playoffs is a big deal for this franchise, so even though we had greater goals that we did not accomplish, winning the division or even advancing, uh, making the playoffs is a big deal. Because it doesn't happen very often, even though we now expect it to happen every single season. And our final moment, because again, we are not going down to Atlanta and we are not going to go to the postseason because we want everybody to be happy. It's a brand new year. We want smiles. Who could forget September 28th, 2022? It was a very memorable and scary night for myself. Uh, As you may recall, if you're a loyal listener to the Rico Pete Hoffman did an excellent job recording the Rico right after this game. I was in the hospital. My youngest son was sick. And so me, my wife, my youngest, we're in the hospital. There's not much we could do. And my wife's like, turn the Met game on. Let's distract us. Okay, maybe she's not the one who said it. I said, can we put the Met game on? And so we did. Spence is sleeping. My wife's falling asleep. And I put this Met game on. The Mets had lost the previous night to Miami. And things were looking bleak because now we're tied with the Braves. And this was the final game before we went down to Atlanta. So simultaneously, the Mets are playing the Marlins and the Braves are playing the Nationals. And both of these games are close and they're happening at the same time. The problem is the Mets couldn't hit again. They gave up two runs in the fourth inning, a run in the sixth, a run in the seventh, and all the while could not get a big hit. They're down 4 nothing, Even with help. They're about to go to Atlanta, tied for first place in the NL East. Braves are playing a close game against the Nationals. And then the Mets, miraculously, but slowly come back. Eduardo Escobar hits a two-run home run in the seventh inning to make it close. 
Then they load up the bases in the eighth inning for Jeff McNeil, and oddly enough, he doesn't come through. He pops one up to shortstop. But here comes that man again, Eduardo Escobar. Hits a base hit to right to tie the game up at 4-4, four and four, and then in the 10th, wins the game. It will forever be called the Eduardo Escobar game. Door the winning run at second, one out. One and one to Escobar. And Eduardo punches one through the hole. Base hit. Here comes Lindor. Bleday with the throw to the plate. Lindor is safe. And the Mets win it. It's the month of Escobar. Five RBIs, including the game winner of the 10th. And the Mets win it 5-4 to four to go a game up on the Braves. Yeah, minutes earlier, the Braves lost. So that, you know, 20 to 30 minute period of time with the Braves losing, with the Mets rallying and then win it was incredible. Little did we know that would be our last great moment of the season. Because let's be honest, it was all downhill from there. But that night, there was hope. That night, there was optimism. Uh, But (laughs) I don't want to end this so negatively. But Yeah, great job on that one, man. (laughs) What am I supposed to do? It's like, hey, by the way, that we had no more good moments after this, the, the game before we went to go visit the Atlanta Braves. There was playoffs after that, and there was nothing good in there. Yeah, there was so nothing ignore, good in there. Ignore that. Yeah, unless you want to include the three games against the Nationals in which the Mets swept and had Francisco Alvarez in a home run. That was the last great moment. I thought that game reminded me of the Asdrubal Cabrera game from 2016 where they had rallied numerous times against the Phillies. He hit that home run, flipped the bat, in the most uh, pimps, pimp, pimptastic way. It's a new word I created, pimptastic. Uh, very similar kind of game. Game they needed, a game in which one guy, Eduardo Escobar, carried them. But unfortunately, the rest of this story is really bad. The Mets would lose the division. The Mets would lose in the wild card series, two games to one to San Diego. But think about this for a second. You know, we just went through 12 games. 11 of them were wins. So include the take the San Francisco game out, you know, because it was a loss. This season really did feature a lot of awesome stuff. Uh, I only hope 2023 can supply that plus, like more, specifically in October. But the regular season did leave us with a lot of smiles. So I know it's sometimes tough to think about that because the postseason is what you remember. And yeah, we're going to look back at 2022 and say we should have done more. We could have done more. But I think by listening to this podcast, by going back and thinking about some of these games that maybe you forgot about till we brought it up to you again, it was a really good and exciting season. And hopefully 2023 will bring many, many more. If there's a game or a moment you think we forgot, definitely email us, B at gmail.com. It'll be a very exciting 2023. Podcast at least twice a week and hopefully Mets success. You can check out Pete with uh, Tiki and Tierney, 2 o'clock on the fan, me and Craig. uh, They're 10 a.m. on the fan. Me and Craig, 2 o'clock on the fan. And we definitely appreciate you listening to Rico Bronia and Happy New Year. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.